Good morning, new community. It's good to see you. Um, that prayer by Thomas Merton, um, so powerful. Uh, it will actually be a prayer that we come back to this fall. Uh, it'll kind of be one of the centering prayers for our series in the fall um, in the book of Mark. So really excited about that and excited about that prayer. But it is uh, good to be back with you this morning. I was likewise, uh, like Jerusha, on vacation. Um, and I also went to a different church. I sat in a beautiful cathedral and uh, said the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed with a group of the saints. Um, and I don't say that because you're like, oh, wow, both of uh, the last two people up here even go to church when they're on vacation. That's not why I'm saying that. Um, I am saying it because while I sat there in this beautiful cathedral, and I said these sacred prayers and sat with a group of people. Um, I missed this place. I missed the stained carpet and the paneling, even. Uh, but most of all, uh, what I missed was you, the people, right? Because the church is the people. As so much as we want to make it about buildings and budgets and um, where the church is located or whatever, it's not. It has always been and will always be about the people. And uh, there is something powerful about community. I think you know that. If you are actually living into it well, if you're in small group, if you're connecting to people that you love, you're sharing life, you're building friendships and relationships, that is what it looks like to be the church. And um, I just want to just express my gratitude to this community because I'm just so grateful for your gifts, your passions. Uh, the ways in which you kind of see the world, the values you carry, uh, all of that is what actually makes this place a place that you miss. And uh, so it's good to be back. I want to start our morning with a poem. And uh, many of you know that I love words and metaphor and uh, rap music and poetry and all of that um, because I think it's so powerful, it's so grounding, there's so much about words and metaphor and meaning that can actually transform uh, who we are. And um, I want to start with this poem because I think it ties into uh, the series we're starting this morning. And this poem, I'll read it to you, it is... Uh, the Trough by Judy Brown. There is a trough in waves, a low spot where horizon disappears and only sky and water are our company. And there we lose our way unless we rest, knowing the wave will bring us to its crest again. There we may drown if we let fear hold us in its grip and shake us side to side and leave us flailing, torn, disoriented. But if we rest there in the, in the trough, in silence, being in the low part of the wave, keeping our energy and noticing the shape of things, the flow, then time alone will bring us to another place where we can see horizon, see land again, regain our sense of where we are and where we need to swim. I think in a lot of ways, for me, this poem kind of captures the series we're walking into. 
Um, this series is on the book of Proverbs. It is an opportunity for us to consider the wisdom literature of the scriptures. And there is an important part about being a community that wants to immerse itself in the wisdom literature. Uh, because as you know, wisdom is quite different than knowledge. Wisdom, if you kind of use this metaphor of the trough, the waves, knowledge is what you try to use to get through, right? To fight through the waves, to develop new strategies, to figure out if you're important or have status or relevance, you're struggling, where wisdom is calling you to imagine what it would be like if you just felt the sensation of floating between the waves, right? To stop paddling so ferociously and aggressively and instead to take a breath, survey your surroundings and trust. Trust that the next wave will come and with it some miraculous intervention that kind of buoys you enough to see the horizon again and know where to swim. That is what it means, I think, to have wisdom. And I know many of you, I know myself, that is what I want to be, right? A person who can sit at peace in the midst of the trough, in stillness, to be a person of wisdom. And what I love about the book of Proverbs is that it's uh, both an ancient book, all these wise sayings, but at the same time, it is like so incredibly relevant. It is for today. It is one of maybe the most human books. Describes the mess that we live in, the tension of life. It gives advice. It gives warnings. But most of all, it describes what is referred to as Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is a term that the writers of Scripture used often. And uh, what's so beautiful about Lady Wisdom is she is described as creation and poetry and beauty. And she's described by John in the New Testament as Jesus himself. Lady Wisdom. And so today, we're going to begin this series on Lady Wisdom, and all my goal is today is to kind of create a bit of an introduction. Uh, and what I want to do is suggest a few guidelines for helping us to understand wisdom literature. If we're going to get uh, the most that we can out of this particular series, it would be helpful for us to have a little bit of a framework or some guidelines for getting out of it as much as the Spirit wants for us to learn. And my goal, like I said, is just to go through these guidelines and, and to kind of use them as a preface for where we're headed. Guideline number one, you get Lady Wisdom by receiving, pursuing, and prizing her. Our text for this morning that Kevin read earlier, it says this, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Proverbs 2 kind of echoes this same idea. In Proverbs 2, it says this. It'll be on the screen. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight 
and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I think what Solomon is getting at in this particular passage is this, that wisdom is not a spectator sport. It is not something that you just get via osmosis, that you sit there and somehow absorb it. Wisdom is something that is earned, that is pursued, that is prized and valued. The language that Solomon uses here is to receive, treasure, be attentive, incline, call out, raise your voice, seek it, search for it. All of those things are stated, and then it says, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Proverbs kind of is describing the priority. First, you have to actually desire it, long for it, want it, pursue it, be attentive to it, before then you actually get it. See, throughout the book of Proverbs, there is this language of pursuit, desire. You'll see several words up on the screen that kind of speak to that idea. And isn't that how we get most things in life? Is we actually have to, the things that truly matter are the things that we have to pursue, that we have to work for. And even though we wish it to be true that we could simply just absorb wisdom or simply just kind of go through the motions and it would be easy... We'd be kidding ourselves because we know it actually requires effort and drive and intensity. And sometimes, maybe the only time that I think wisdom just happens to someone is when what happens to someone is they go through one of the worst experiences in all of their life and then come through it on the other side more wise. It's never just given easily. It's hard fought. The people that I respect the most in the world, that have the most wisdom, at least from my perspective, seem to carry themselves with deep wisdom, are the people that have sought it their whole life, asked for advice, pursued it, wanted to be around people far wiser than them so it would rub off on them. Or it was people that you would go, I never want to go through what they went through. And then you go, Oh, and yet, look at the diamond they are for having experienced all of that pressure. That is how one acquires wisdom. It's to be pursued. But it's also to be prized. Solomon speaks about that kind of idea that that it's to be valued, that you really want it. And I, I would venture to say that in our culture, a lot of times that's not the case. I think we don't necessarily as a culture prize or value wisdom above everything. Now, both of my sons work in, um, in pizza. They're delivery pizza guys. And, um, and here's, the, here's the funny thing. They could probably give you, if they could get a dollar for the number of times that people walk in and, and say, excuse me, can you tell me what the difference is between the 14-inch and the 16-inch pizza? It, it, you would see that wisdom is not necessarily valued in our culture. I mean, how do you even answer that? Like, I don't, yeah. But wisdom is not valued nearly as much, if you think about it, as wealth or fame, being noticed, happiness, 
comfort, power, one's rights, or health. All of those things seem to be in our culture valued far more than wisdom. And yet wisdom says this in Proverbs 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding for the gain from her, Lady Wisdom, is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Shalom. She is the tree of life to those who lay a hold of her, those who hold her fast, are called blessed. What Solomon is doing is he's painting this picture and saying that, man, if you got wisdom, hold on to that. Treasure that. Understand it for the worth that it is. And again, I I think a lot of times we just kind of slough it off, but the truth is, if you think about it, the ability to navigate the complexities of life the skillful art of negotiating the gray areas, the wherewithal to not look like a complete fool based on the way you value life and wealth and friendship and fame and power, that is far, far greater. Proverbs 24 makes that statement where it says, My son, eat honey for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such for your soul. I love that phrase. Notice that wisdom is such for your soul. Guideline number two. So not only do we need to prize it, desire it, chase after it, pursue it. Second is lady wisdom offers an invitation. Our text tells us, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Peter Enns makes this statement I find very fascinating. He says this, the Bible holds out for us an invitation to accept this timeless and sacred responsibility of working out for ourselves what faith in God looks like here and now, of owning the process with no accompanying checklist of one-size-fits-all solutions, no safety net of prescripted responses, and no fear that God will bring down the hammer on us for accepting the challenge of faith. What ends is getting at, in my estimation, is that wisdom literature is not absolute in the way it's defined or described. It tends to be wise, pithy statements, memorable sayings. Uh, It's much of the way that the Bible is written, actually. It's story, it's sayings, it's pregnant with meaning, It's inspiring. It's like a good quote you want to remember. And and when the scriptures often speak, especially in wisdom literature, they describe rather than command. They give us choices, but not demands. And again, they're pictures and stories and sayings. It's as if Lady Wisdom offers a way of being, a poetic guideline for life. But if you grew up in the church, you know that what we'd prefer rather than the pithy and the memorable and the interesting and and that which like invites us to participate, we'd rather have 
the rules, right? We want legal metaphor language for reading the Bible because rules provide the illusion of certainty. We think that if that's the rule, then it's all kind of figured out. But wisdom instead offers an invitation. And I think it's really important for us as we go into this series to recognize that wisdom is inviting you to participate in the process of learning and growth, the process of being more or becoming like Jesus, right? That's what wisdom is inviting you into. Wisdom isn't going to just go, hey, here's the answer. Think about it once, forget about it, and you never have to think about it again. Enns goes on to kind of describe what he would say is the difference between maybe rule book thinking and wisdom thinking. Here are a couple of those examples. He says, rule book answers deliver certitude and finality, but wisdom embraces mystery. Rule book answers are distant and passive, but wisdom is intimate and learned through experience. Rule book answers are immediate, but wisdom takes trial and error over time. Rule book answers provide comfort and stability. That's part of what I was describing before is the illusion of certainty. But wisdom asks us to risk letting go of what is familiar for the surprises of God. He goes on to say a few more. Rule book answers are designed to end the journey. I don't know how many times within the church We want to say, that's what we said, that's what it means, forget it, it's settled, it's done, right? But instead, wisdom shapes us so we journey with courage and peace. Rule book answers are limited to specific moments, but wisdom works in all times and places. And finally, rule book answers keep us small, but wisdom gives us the space we need to grow And what Lady Wisdom is doing for us in this series is inviting, inviting us to participate, inviting us to learn together and to really lean into the wisdom of Scripture. My third and final posture is this. Wisdom, or my guideline is this, wisdom is a posture. The last little phrase in Psalm or Proverbs 1-7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think if you were to distill the book of Proverbs in all of its like pithy statements into one phrase, the phrase that kind of captures the entirety of the book of Proverbs is this one, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This phrase, the fear of the Lord, is repeated like 18 times in the book of Proverbs Um, So you can almost say that what Lady Wisdom is doing is repeating this mantra throughout the text over and over, like the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And she keeps saying it again and again. And if you've obviously been around the church for long enough, you will know that most of the church communicates about the fear of the Lord and says, really, it has nothing to do with fear And they're right, but then what we tend to do is follow up with, so fear these things, right? Um, Which then doesn't feel very convincing. This is not a fear the gray-bearded God with a scepter sitting up on a throne ready to hit you when you step out of line. That's not this fear. It is not a tremble in your boots like be scared um, because evil or something will come upon you. This 
fear is entirely different. This fear is like a God consciousness and an awe. That's what is being described, that the God consciousness and the awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That might be a better way to describe it. And and to say that I fear God or that I fear the Lord is to say that I trust God, that I follow God, that I am aware of God and God's presence. I um, at one point had a spiritual director by the name of Father Armand. Um, I've had several spiritual directors over my time here at New Community. Um, And he was amazing. When I would sit with him, he would talk about what it meant to be kind of fully aware of the presence of God. And I'll never forget this one phrase he said to me when I was, I was asking him, like, what do, you, what do you mean when you say that you're in God's presence, you can sense God, that, that that in itself is a bit of a prayer? What do you mean by that? And he said that It's to be aware of his presence, to thank God for life. And then he said, what I try to do is I look at creation and I look at all the gifts that I have and I just simply say, I love you too. And I was like, wow. To like go through life and to see a beautiful sunset and instead of thinking about it as a beautiful sunset, and the way the light is hitting the trees or whatever, that's awesome. But to also look at it and go, I love you too, is like an entirely different awareness of God being fully present all the time with us. That is what is being described. Shelley says it this way. She writes, when either the Hebrew Bible or Christian scriptures sanctions the fear of the Lord, it is referring to what Eugene Peterson describes as a fear that pulls us out of our preoccupation with ourselves, our feelings, or our circumstances into a world of wonder, not dread, but astonishment, not terror, but reverence, not shaking in your boots panic, but enraptured with love fascination. That is the God consciousness, the awareness of God and God's spirit with us. And I want to end with this uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel quote, because I think the other half of what it means to, to not just be God conscious, but to also be in awe of God, this other half of what it means to fear God. He says it this way, the way to faith leads through acts of wonder and radical amazement. Awe precedes faith. It is the root of faith. Awe rather than faith is the cardinal attitude of the religious Jew. In biblical language, the religious man is not called believer, as he is, for example, in Islam, but one who stands in awe of God. What Heschel is getting at is that the very center of what it means to be a religious follower of Yahweh is awe. This God consciousness, awareness, this reverence, this wonder and fascination with who God is. And this series, our hope is to lean into that, to lean into this posture, to lean into the pursuit 
and to lean into these guidelines that help us understand what it means to walk as a community in wisdom. Our hope that by the end of the summer, that we continue to move forward as a community that's more intent, not on knowledge, not on easy believism, not on anything other than this awe and reverence of God, which leads to deep wisdom.